This episode of the podcast would not be possible without the support of our fantastic sponsor, Everyday Lines. Anyone in the Devonport area may be able to identify a tall, skinny, passionate bloke who you see running and riding absolutely everywhere. For those who don't know, that's champion runner and great bloke Brian Lyons. Brian's also a running coach and mentor and his Everyday Lions running coaching programs are inclusive and cater for all age groups from kids right up to retirees. Training sessions are held in different locations from the Devonport area to Burnie and you can choose from group training, 8, 12, 16 week or yearly programs. Whatever your goal is, Brian will help you smash it as many have with his proven coaching techniques. You can find Brian at Everyday Lions on Facebook, Instagram or at his website www.everydaylions.org. And while you're at it, look out for some of the fantastic events organised by Everyday Lions events, including Run Devonport, The Great Train Race, The Light Night Glow Run, and The Devonport Christmas Fun Run, just to name a few. We'll see you at the starting line. A real treat this week to sit down with a bloke that myself and my mates used to see streaming down the wing when we go to the footy and watch his boys, Latrobe Football Club legend Wayne Jaffray. Wayne joins us to chat about his journey, touching on his early years, why he got into footy at a young age and why he believes sport plays such a big part in helping our youth. We speak about the highs and lows of his footy career, awards, triumphs and disappointments, his forays into coaching and his brief time at the Devonport Football Club resulting in some great achievements and one of the hardest times in his footy career. Wayne gives his opinions on the best he's seen and the best he's played with and anyone who knows Wayne and his football family knows this chat would not be complete without a discussion on who's the best footballer in the Jaffray family. We also touch on private hard times in Wayne's life and he tells us how he got through this with a few tips for people. Wayne's known as a great community person, always up for a chat, laugh and a story and he certainly doesn't disappoint in this chat. I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I've got half an opportunity here. I'm going to take it this time. <laughs> he sat there for two songs and he goes, he likes to shit up and then he left. When I die, I want everyone to have shots and I want you to use my coffin as the bar. I collapsed and, and they couldn't find a heartbeat for a couple of minutes. I would give everything, anything that I've got right now to hear my mum sing again. I could just go into the house and fucking do it and no one care, but people do care. He said, thank you for saving my life. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Oh, mate, it doesn't uh, get much bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Jaffray, Latrobe Footy Club legend. Welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Oh, thanks, Brendan. I wouldn't have thought I was a legend, but thank you. <laughs> now, we only get the big names on here, mate. Oh, thanks. That's what's taken me so long to get you, because everyone wants a piece of you, you know that. <laughs> All <laughs> oh, right. How's Anzac Day for you, mate? Uh, really good, mate. Yes. yes. What did you get up to? Uh, I just went down and did the uh, morning one. I feel that the morning one's more important to me anyway. Yep. I feel that it's, um, you know, it's straight into it and none of this more commercialised one is like at 10 o'clock. Like the 10 o'clock one's too commercialised where the one in, in the morning is more eerie, more real type of thing so yeah. i enjoy doing that one it hits yeah. harder the dawn service doesn't it like i always go down i've been starting to take my kids the last couple of years too because i think it sort of hits home to them a little bit harder of you know the reason that you're there and i made sure that i explained to them last time why they do it at dawn because that's when the, the diggers actually landed that's so when they landed mate yeah, yeah it's pretty important and like it's so there's no noise it's so still and it's pretty eerie actually yeah. yeah there's something really powerful i find even going to the footy yesterday about you know having a, a big group of people just completely silent i think that's there's a lot of power in that isn't there oh 
unbelievable, like how sports embraced it, especially here in Australia. Like it's just one of those things that you can hear a pin dropped, at, you know, at the MCG yesterday and in Launceston yesterday as well. So yep. I was watching a preview yesterday on TV and um, Mick Malthouse was t- talking to the Collingwood people from a from a letter this, this digger wrote before he went into battle and it was really touching and uh, if that didn't get the hair on you, back of your head stand up nothing would bloody so. oath yeah yeah and no, i think the whole day sort of does that for a lot of people it's a pretty emotional sort of day it is mate yeah. yeah mate obviously we'll we'll get into your story so where did it all start for you mate did you grow up in latrobe yeah mate um mum and dad they uh, married in um derby uh, yep. <laughs> on the northeast, yep. and uh, wouldn't have been much at Derby back in those uh, days, would it? Back in that days, no. There, there was, is now. There, there's, there's, <laughs> she's a big happening place now, Derby. But uh, no, um, I was born and bred in Latrobe. Um, born in at the Devonport Maternity Hospital, and uh, 1964 it was. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Spring no. chicken. A spring chicken back then, yes, yeah, <laughs> as they would say. So what was your childhood like, mate? What did you get uh, up to? Childhood was really, really good. Like um, back in the day, like you know you know didn't have things like internet or mobile phones and things like that so the the good thing about it was growing up was that you had to go and see your mates like you know after school you muck around with your mates at school and then after school you'd be always with your mates like you'd always be um oh you know i got you get on your bike and go around to the house like because you didn't have a phone or anything like that so that's how i i reckon you know you grew up with friends not with mobiles type of thing and yep. uh, it was a lot different um always you know you always had to get your bike or you had to walk basically um you know to get around to see your friends but no great uh, childhood memories i always remember going back to derby as a kid and seeing grandma and uh, and like you said derby's a you know a real happening place now but i remember the days when we used to go back was very quiet like um, grandma would give you a couple couple dollars well no only about like 10 or 20 cents to go down to the shop and get an ice cream and yep. some lollies and things like that but you'd get down there and you wouldn't know if there was a shop open or not because it was a town that used to be open or it was closed type of thing it was you know um boom and bust town type of thing and but like I said, you said today, it's unbelievable. Yeah, she's yeah. definitely gone ahead. Yeah. So you say that you, your parents married in, in Derby. So why did they relocate? What happened there? Um, it was more um, dad's work. And um, mum, she graduated as a nurse. And uh, then she got a posting. She put in for a job at the Latrobe Hospital. And she ended up becoming a nurse there. And dad become like he moved down. Well, they both moved together. Um, and then they... Um, Dad was working for the Hydro then, so he was getting posted all around the place, but Latrobe was his base. Like he, we, Mum and Dad moved down there in about 63. Mm-hmm. I was born in 64. Yep. And, you know, um, that's where we was brought, and that's where, you know, our first house was in George Street. We went to Laura Street, and then we, Dad and Mum built a new home in um, Vincent Crescent, and that's where most of my younger days were spent, like from there. Yep. So what sort of kid were you? What um, what sort of things did you get up to? Uh, I was, I was probably I'd run with some naughty kids, I suppose, and <laughs> I used to always be the one that you know I'd I'd get in trouble just as much as the ones I run with. Um, yep. But I suppose that little bit of larrikin was in me early. Yeah. Um, but like I said, used to get caught out on a few things that I'd done wrong, and uh, it wasn't just getting punished at the school; it was getting punished when you got home as well. Yep. Like, um, yeah, you know, back in the day, you know, we, we didn't have, you know, uh, watches and things like that. So 
once the street light, we had to be home before the street lights were on, um, or less we'd be in trouble. But, if they come on, you'd be skittling home, wouldn't oh, you? Oh, mate, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, Dad, would, oh, he wouldn't be happy if we weren't home before then. So, but I reckon. Yeah. We'd spoken previously about, um, you, you told me, you know, how much um, sport played a big part in your childhood. What's, what sort of age did you start to get into organised sport, and what sort of sports did you play? Um, well, I got into sport, like, I was always at a young age, like... Um, Basketball was like taken off in La Trobe, and believe it or not, my first lot of basketball was at the Memorial Hall, where it is in the main street of La Trobe. Yep. Before we went to the uh, to the youth centre, but um, Mum she started our mini league, which um, we had no football in the town at the time, and right. uh, and Mum she was a big mover to get that going, and uh, uh, I played with a lot of people and. Um, over the years and all started at, at mini league at, at La Trobe and it still goes strong today. Yeah. Um, yep. Mum's a life member of the mini league and uh, and I just remember some great little, I, I remember people like Tickle Orford, you know, coached me. Bill Radford used to coach me. Bobby Dixon, you know, all these old names in La Trobe yep. um, used to have like, used to coach us. Um, a couple of handy of, footballers though. Oh yeah, some good footballers. Yeah. And, like, we used to train at the Catholic school then and and we used to play at Bayard Park every Sunday afternoon. So yep. Mum started was we had they were called the Devils and the Demons. So yep, yeah, excellent. So you've said to me previously, without sport, you might have ended up in a bit of a different sort of place. Like you might have you thought you were a bit of a rat bag. Sport sort of kept you on the straight and narrow. Is that sort of fair to say? Or? Uh, I, I think you can say that today as well. I think yep. um, I'm a big believer of um, people plans like kids getting into sport early because it. It gives them um, something to look forward to. It's something that um, keeps them out of trouble. It's something that I feel that uh, as you get older, you you'll realise the uh, social side of things with 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 sport. Um, how many friends you make through sport, um, either playing with them, against them, or just general people coming to watch. You know, mm. that is one of the the great things that I've always pushed. I've always said I've individually i was only just a player but i always believed that i was bigger picture big part of the team i always felt that um you know i was a team player always have been um and i always remember in my younger days i was um i was i wasn't that good of a player or anything like that it's just i was just tagging along because my dad used to do it you know and brett was into it type of thing as well so i just thought well I'll just go along, but I, I definitely wasn't no star or anything like that. Oh, I think you think um, you're yeah. pretty modest, mate. We'll get into that yeah. later on, but I'll be the one giving out the accolades. Don't <laughs> you worry about it. So you you spoke spoke about your family. Obviously, your father Newt played for Latrobe. Um, he was a you know Latrobe legend, life member. Um, as is your brother as well. Um, your dad would have played with Bulldog, is that right? Yeah, yeah, mate. Um, yep. Dad come along. Uh, dad played uh, a couple of years before Bulldog had arrived back in the footy club in '69. Yep. And Dad was like only young then back then, and uh, but yeah, Dad was one of those pe- people that was. Oh, he ended up playing in the '68 uh, reserves grand final, and then he he played in the '69, '70, '71, and '72 grand finals under wow. Bulldog. Yep. So he had a fair run. Yep. Um, 
And Dad was one of those blokes that, you know, he used to tell me, he said, oh, he used to tell a lot of people, he reckons that he used to take Bulldogs hits all the time because they <laughs> had the same came over type of thing. So. <laughs> they reckon they're stitching him up for yeah, his Bulldog. Yeah, they reckon that's what he, he'd tell everyone anyway. So, <laughs> What sort yeah. of player was he? Obviously, I saw um, Brett play, but I wouldn't have seen your dad play. Well, Dad was one of them blokes, again, I was only young myself when I went, used to go to the football, but... I just remember going the footy with mum and dad, like and Brett, like because um, Daniel come a lot longer afterwards, type yep. of thing. And I just remember like um, going to the footy, like just the crowds and things like that. But I'll be honest, I can't remember too many of dad's games. I was pretty young; I'd be playing around the back or something like that. But I just remember some of the wins and the and the premierships, like going off to the club rooms and and going to Mackey's and places like that as a kid, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. You know, it's just, <laughs> it just blows you away, like the, you know, the parties that they had after, you know, them type of wins. And, yep. Yeah. Pretty social sort of club. Oh, they, they were, like, um, always Doc, Doc was always a professional bloke and, and he expected that from his players, but there was a time when they could lift the lid and uh, enjoy, enjoy their wins and... Uh, and that was what it was about. Um, when he come back from St Kilda, Doc, he you know installed that into the club. Where again, we had a period of under Wally Clark. You know they just couldn't quite make it. And yeah, they probably partied a little bit more than what they probably you know should have been playing footy. But yep. Doc installed more. Let's get to the winning games, playing footy, and then um, and celebrate later. Celebrate later. Yeah. Yeah. You played all of your junior footy at Latrobe, didn't you? I think. Um, I saw on the on the board there. I went and had a look in the history room there. You played an under seventeen premiership in nineteen eighty one. Is that right? Yeah, I played in the under seventeens. But before then, I like I said, I I come through our under our mini league from yep. Devils to Demons, and then also in that I was playing like school footy as well. And then we went from that to uh, high school, and then I got in. Then Mum started the under seventeens because there was a bit of a gap between school footy and under nineteens back then, yep. and she was very worried about a lot of lot of footballers lo- losing a lot of players to, with that gap in footy. So Mum mm. started the under seventeens, and uh, yeah, after about three years going, we end up winning the premiership in 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 the under seventeens in nineteen eighty one. It was so yep. it's a long time ago, but. Uh, Still in the town, there's a lot of them boys that actually played in that premiership and, uh, you know, friends for life, basically. Mm. Like I said, most people I've played with, doesn't matter um, win, lose or whatever, you become mates anyway. So mm. um, I just found that, uh, but it was, it's nice to have that one premiership that I did win in, um, like, in under 17s because I haven't won, <laughs> won any. I've played in a few, but haven't won one. So mm. under 17 one was pretty important to me, being a local boy and uh, local players I played with, so... Yep. Yeah, it's mm. funny that they say that, that bond of premiership players, even at a very young age. I know my boy's only under 14s now, but, you know, I, I just imagine even if they won it at that age, like you always remember that when you see those blokes later on in life and that sort of thing. You, you, you do, you become mates for life, don't you? You do, mate. Like like I said, you, I look at that photo, the under-17s and the amount of um, uh, players that are still on the town, it's, it's unreal, you know, and uh, only this year we lost the coach, which was Dale Jenkins, like um, yep. he was our... He he took us right from the beginning and uh, and then finished at uh, he finished with us with under nineteen. He ended up going from under seventeens to coaching us in the under nineteens. Then so yeah, very just one of them blokes. Great bloke. He was um, I wouldn't say he was a, a 
great coach, but just a great bloke and uh, got on with everyone and that's why he had success that he did. Yep. Yeah. What sort of position were you playing in those junior days? I think, like, as you sort of progressed into senior footy, you were more of an on-baller winger, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yep. that's right. Were you, still, were you playing that position back then? Yeah, in uh, in under-17s, a lot of times I'd probably play, like, centre-half back. I My preferred position was always wing. Um, yep. I always thought that I could go in the middle, but... I just felt that uh, wing gave me more space with my my go was I was fairly quick so I used to use my pace to advantage but um, in my younger days yeah a lot of in the back line and believe it or not once I got into masters footy that's where I finished too I finished in the back line so I um, <laughs> come full yeah, circle yeah so I kind of did the full circle so yeah but spent lots of time you know around the middle wing you know, a bit of forward, but I wouldn't class myself as a forward, yeah. So you play, ended up playing over 200 games for Latrobe? Yeah, I played yep. over 200. I, I'm not sure how many, but I was well over 200 senior games. But then, you know, I finished and then I come back and played in the reserves. I played quite a few games in the reserves. I don't know how many games I played there. but yep. And I, you coached the reserves too, didn't you? Yeah, I coached them in 99 uh, and 2000. Yep. Played off in two grand finals. Got beat both of them. Yep. Um, but great experience, great learning thing. Um, yeah, so... What sort of coach would you say that you were? Uh, well, some say would say I was a poor coach. Um, <laughs> At least you had a go. Yeah, I had a go. I I think that was the main thing. There was, you know, there was the the first year that I... I I Actually, I think I've coached them three times because I had another year. I remember Shane Greenwood, he was a president at the time and they just couldn't get a reserves coach and I really didn't want to coach. But um, he talked me around and I ended up doing it. So um, the two years that I coached when we played off in the grand final... I coached different to when I did when I coached the third time because the third time was that I I really didn't have nothing and it was very, very hard. It was more or less finding players to just to play on a sad day. Yep, just getting and numbers. And it was a little bit harder to come onto them players than, you know, when you had a reasonably good side where you could, you know, apply a little bit of discipline and you could, you know, you could come onto them a little bit mm-hmm. more. But when you're struggling for players, you've got to be careful how you speak to them and this type of thing and yep. because you end up losing them. And so it was two different times when I did coach. Do you think that might be a bit of an issue with um, footy like local footy in general and particularly in the country leagues, especially with some of the some of the clubs that are struggling for numbers? You've, Yeah, I suppose you can't really give them a too bit, much of a hard time <laughs> or put too much discipline because you're just happy to have numbers on the paddock, aren't you? Well, you, well, you are. And when you're kind of like because I coached our um, under-19s for two years as well and uh, always found that you had to be careful and choose very carefully what you said because um, I remember a guy, and I won't mention his name, I, I, I didn't have a runner that day and was at Smithton and, and I... And I couldn't bring anyone off the ground, and I tried to I tried to get him to come to the side of the ground so I could explain something to him, yep. and he just ignored me. And I remember at quarter time, I end up like probably coming on him a bit more than I did. Well, at the end of the game, it, the players come up to me and they said, "Oh, Jeff, you're going to have to have a get, go and have to talk to such and such because he's not playing next week." And I thought, "Oh, you'd no. upset him." <laughs> I'd upset him, so then I had to basically go and you know reassure him that you know how how important he is to our side and yep. and this type of thing because I was worried about the following week with the numbers we might not have had the numbers so we just yep. had to be careful in what we said and yeah it was always it was always you know on eggshells basically when you're coaching like that yeah 
Um, like times have obviously changed with coaches and things. So you would have come through the era when most coaches were giving you the the fire and brimstone, so they speak, isn't it? Like, have you ever copped any decent sprays in your life? My word, I have. I've had. Can you some, remember any? Oh yeah, I've, I've actually yeah, I've had some really good coaches that have been like that. Um, I remember the a couple combined games, but I remember um, Brian Hickey like um before we went out, we played a, a combined side of Ballarat at La Trobe. It was. And it was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. Like, but he he basically gave us the biggest spray before we even run out there. And like, geez, you felt like you wanted to go through brick walls. But you know, I I remember as a kid, like in the change room, I remember like Vin Wait, like oh, everyone used to cram into the change rooms to listen to him. You know, like you know, and I I remember Bulldog. There was times you know they'd win and and he'd be berating them after the game. Like sometimes, even if they'd won, you know, still wasn't happy with a few. Still wasn't happy, but um. In my coach, like, yeah, there's been coaches, you know, that are not too scared to give you a spray or anything like that, but um, and that's how it was. But I always found with senior senior coaches, they can do that because they've got a, you know, plazas. If they can't handle it, they'll just change them over and bring someone else in. But, mm. um, I, you know, I don't mind it. I, I think it's good, you know. It keeps people so they don't get ahead of themselves and things like that. Mm. But it doesn't hurt, but some... Some players are a little bit more sensitive today than what they were back then as well. So it's a different sort of mm. era. Do you remember the best spray you've ever copped, personally? I've had blokes give me a spray. I remember Dick Reynolds, um, Chris Reynolds, he, he coached us. And I was only in my first year because that year I'd play, I was playing under-19s, reserves or seniors, depending on where I was picked. And uh, I played very... I was playing... I thought I was playing all right, but um, Dick Reynolds, he gave me a fair spray once. And uh, What yeah. were you doing wrong? Oh, well, I wouldn't have thought I was doing much wrong at all, but it was more like I, you know, obviously I hadn't hit him on the tit or on the chest when I'm running down the wing with it or what, I don't know, but uh, he used to like it lace out, so... So, yeah. just just going back to yourself as a player, describe yourself as a player for us. Tell us what sort of player you are, or um, you were, sorry. Well, I would think if any... I suppose I know myself better than anyone else, but... I think my best mess best attitude was like going and get the ball. Like I used to love going in, you know, getting the ball and try and try and set us up, you know, either getting it and breaking the lines. I was big on um like my disposal wasn't the greatest, so it was more or less if I got it, you know, run with the ball a bit, you know, um used to try and break a line or two. Um so I I would have thought that was my biggest asset, I guess, like my speed, um, breaking lines, I guess. Yep. Um, going in and getting it. Um, but, you know, I was a reasonable mark, a reasonable kick, but I wouldn't say I was a, I was a great kick. Like, uh, I'm probably better than Brett, but... Um, <laughs> we'll talk about Brett in a yeah. second. That's, this will be interesting. You Obviously, the era that you played in, um, the club was sort of starved of success for a while. I know, you know, and we'll talk about 1994 in a second, but what was it like playing through that era when, you know, you weren't getting a lot of success and, you know, the club hadn't won a premiership since 1972? What, what was it like? Uh, it was pretty pretty hard because, like, when we won the 19, you know, 81, um, under-17, we just presume, you know, in the next couple of years, the Trouble will have a bit of success you know a lot of these players will come through and uh, what I did find that a lot of players from that under 17 side um, a couple of them went and played at a couple other clubs and um, um, a few of them didn't play at all like they'd give it up but um, yeah it was pretty hard I, I just remember there was times when I'm thinking oh we're gonna have another year like we did last year you know it's pretty hard like um, going through years 
not winning many games and uh, feel like you know you you do everything you know you do all your pre-season you do everything right and then you feel that you know you just yeah you're just getting belted all the time like you know that I would have thought we had some really good teams back then but obviously the opposition were always better so we mm. didn't have we didn't have much success a, a lot of the time but like I said that 94 under under Keys was an unreal when you look at that side it was a lot of local boys that were in that in that side that come runners up to Olveson that year they did uh, recruit a few that year too though didn't they bring yeah, a couple in yeah they had um, who was it was it Barley Barley yep. was in there and Proctor and, and Proctor yeah Proctor didn't have a great year with us um, but he was still a recruit for us um, but we uh, we a lot of homegrown before that um, Darren Perry he, he was our coach and we had a bit of success under him as well um, with homegrown. Like he had nothing but himself. He brought himself into the side, mm-hmm. but the rest of the side was made up of local boys. And uh, so we had periods where we were up there, and but weren't quite put enough to win it. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, so what do you reckon in in nineteen ninety four sort of turned the corner? Was it the recruiting and bringing keys in as coach? Obviously, he was a pretty handy player, but. Yeah. Was there anything else that sort of changed around the club that year? Did you find or? Uh, not really. In '94, like Keezy was uh, like a, a big name to the club. Like, um, and when he started demonstrating what he could do, like he had had everyone talking on the town about him. There's no doubt about that. Like, Some people still say he's the best player they've seen play for La Trobe. Oh, he'd be right up there. Mm. I I just thought, well, um, when he first come there, like. Because he used to talk to me, Dad. He used to say, "Oh, where do you reckon I ought to play myself?" And Dad used to say to him, "Play full forward." And Keezy didn't like playing full forward, but he, he got had a pretty like good year at full he forward. He had a good year. Like <laughs> I think he kicked something like a thirteen or fourteen at Smithton one day. Yeah. And uh, and from then on, he decided that's where he'll play. But for some reason, in the grand final, he decided to play himself um, on the ball. On the ball, um, yeah. Yeah, but that's another story. But he um, was a very colourful player. You know, a very good mark, very good kick. Um, yeah, uh, very young. Like I this, you know, I used to listen to him after the game, and all these young blokes would get around him, and they'd be all. And man, I was playing with Dean uh, O'Neill at the time, yep. and we used to just have a beer over in the corner. I said, I'm not going to go over there, like Keezy. You know, he'd be telling them what he can do. You know, he was a bit of a shaman, old Keezy. All so, right, yep. Yeah, but we, I tried to keep away from him, like and. Because I remember uh, one trainer run, he decided um, if we was going to do these 100-metre sprints and if we couldn't do them in this time frame, he said, you're not going to make the seniors. And I said, well, I don't think I can do it in that time anymore. <laughs> Put a line through me I now. Said, he said, oh, don't worry about it. He said, no, you'll be right. Like, yes, no. So <laughs> I got a leg up. But uh, it was funny how he'd make, he'd make statements like that, you know, if he didn't, you know run the 100 in a certain time, then you're not going to play. But, yeah, that's was silly statements, but that's what he'd do. You know? yep. Was he a good coach, would you say? Uh, yeah, well, he was all right. Like, he, he was one of them blokes, he felt that he could nearly win it off his own boot. And, yep. and, you know, generally he could, but, like, there was, you know, he had good side around him as well. You know, you know slouch to make a grand final back then when there was, like, eight or ten teams in the union mm. back then. So And Alveston you know, was strong. Yeah, so, yep. you know... He was he was a pretty good coach. I thought he was just a bit young and that, and uh, but um, but at the end of the day, we made a grand final under him, and um, yeah, we done a great job. Yep. 
Tell us a bit, bit about that game and sort of the, the feeling afterwards, or tell us a bit about that year. I think I asked you there before, was there anything else about that year that sort of changed that, that you felt, or was it just bringing in that influx of, of extra talent to top you up? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I always felt that, um, you know, I was really confident of winning it. Like, um, uh, but like How did said, you go against Alveston that year? Did you had you beaten them through the year, uh, do you remember? We'd beaten them, yeah, we'd... It's a bit hazy now, but I we did beat them. Um, I think you but, beat them in a qualifying final or something yeah. to go into the grand final, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yep. And they, I just remember, I'll never forget the day, like the place was just packed, like it was at La Trobe, and the wind was blowing down towards the hospital, towards the hospital, and I'll never, ever forget. And like they'd had kicked seven goals in the first quarter, and it was like nearly, well, game over, basically. And uh, we'd outscored them for the next three quarters, but... It wasn't good enough, and uh, Alveston ends up winning the grand final. So, um, yeah, I not really. I just remember, you know, playing like we'd always win reasonably well. We had like a good year, like a very consistent year. Um, yeah, but nothing. Yeah, other than Keezy, I guess he was the one of the main. Well, main men and the main target up forward, basically, yep. yeah. You say that they sort of jumped you at the start and obviously he started himself in the centre. Do you think it would have made any difference if he actually did play himself at full forward? If the ball wasn't going down there, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's the debate. Like, a lot of people talk about it is should he played at full forward? But if the ball's not getting down there, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Brendan, I, I, you could say this and that. I, After you know, the fact, you can say whatever you like, can't you, you? You can't, you can. But he was one of them blokes, like, he felt that it wasn't going to get up there, so he felt that he better play himself on the ball, you know. Like, he had plenty of touches, but he, you know, he, yeah, but it was just that really wind. I could just never forget how windy it was. It was, you know, you try and kick it into the wind and she nearly blow back into your face. That's how windy it was. So. Yep. What sort of game did you have that day? Uh, that day, um... Not a real good game. I just remember I um, playing out on the wing, and I just felt that you know just couldn't do nothing right. You know, like uh, you you're trying to probably trying to run forward of the ball a little bit and caught on the rebound, and it was just going over your head. And uh, yeah, uh, my game that day, I don't think I played that well, but I might be able to find a clip and it might say different. But I didn't <laughs> think that I played that well, so. And you, um, you finished up about nineteen ninety eight. Was that right? When you finished in seniors, uh, about ninety eight. Yeah, because yep. I um, ninety nine. I end up playing in the reserves. Yep. Yep. That's right. I finished. Um, and I remember, uh, um, who was it? Uh, Steve. Steve uh, Rising. He was our That's coach yep. of the senior coach in ninety nine and and two thousand. And uh, I remember getting called up. They said, you know, they were getting a few injuries, and they said, oh, would you come up and play? And I end up coming up and playing. I end up um, doing my hamstring. I remember, you know, because of the stand, it, you just went to go that little bit extra. Yep. End up doing my hamstring that year, but end up winning the. I think I went back to the reserves and end up winning the BNF in the reserves yep. so that year. But yeah, I'd finished in yeah in '98 at senior level. Yep. So, um, what what was the chat like at the end of that year? Did you decide to to play reserves, or did they say to you, "Look, we're gonna." play a few more young blokes now or um i think i made a decision i always remember i played with a bloke like rod butler and yep. you know a great friend great uh, at the club but i always remember at the end of his career he was coming on to the young blokes all the time he was just driving them and i yep. always thought well i don't want to get to that i want to give it up while i can still 
play reasonably well, I thought, and uh, go out on my terms instead of been a washed up one like yep. I just thought I'd get out of that time always in the back of my mind I always knew that once I made me call on my seniors that I was going to hang around for a while and play reserves for a few years and just you know help out the club and uh, and that's what I did yep mm. so what would you say over your, over your career was the highlight obviously I know you're pretty modest you don't want to pump your own tyres up unless mm. you've got a couple of beers and you might be a different story <laughs> but what do you what would you say was the high point of your career um, the high point of my career, I reckon. Oh, there's there was a few like some individual things that I'd done in my time. Um, like I won a Wanda medal in a uh, for the union. Um, yep. We played uh, um, the Southerners down there, and yep. I ended up winning the Wanda medal that year. That was a um, for best player in 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 a combined game. Yep. Um, you know, I'd I'd also won you know a few little awards along the way. I, I won a um, uh, we was playing under-19s at the time. We played a, a St Kilda side that came over here that year um, in a game at East Devonport, and I ended up winning the best player for that 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 year, and I you know I cherished that. I won a, a, a football. Um, but I also won, like, I won the Devonport BNF in 89. Um, um, I won... Over the years, I've won quite a few little awards like that type of thing. I've never... Um, a couple runner-ups at Latrobe, but never quite cracked it. I, I remember the year Bob Jones was—I'll never forget it. it was 1986, and uh, they recruited this bloke called Bob Jones from North Hobart. And uh, I'll never forget, like—and I said at the speech on that night, I said if Bob Jones wasn't there, I would have won it. But he—he uh, <laughs> he ended up winning it and won it fairly well. And I ran second that year, but um, and then. Two years later, he gets drafted to St Kilda, so yep. he, he became a and and been a good friend since. I've caught up with him in Western Australia last year, actually. Yeah, um, Bob. Yeah, sounds like it's no shame to be runner up to someone like that, though. He's obviously oh, no, a pretty it was handy no player. Shame. No, no, I'd always got nutted by a good player. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. How scary is it in this day and age? How much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently, my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend, no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229-220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. Obviously we've talked about you had a, had a pretty sort of glittering career at La Trobe and you touched yeah. on there before winning a best and fairest over at Devonport. Not a lot of people know that you did play a couple of years over at Devonport, didn't Yeah, you? I played about, uh, I played nearly 80, 80 senior games at Devonport. Yep. So I had a few years there and... Um, so how did that come about? Was well, it just the, the TFL you wanted to try at the high standard or...? Oh, well, not really. I do know how it came about. It's... Uh, Barry Gossage was coach of La Trobe in 88. He was appointed coach. And there was a lot of conflict at the club there. You know, should he have gotten it? Because Bob Wilson had coaches for the last three years. And and uh, um, Barry Gossage come in to coach and 
you know, it split the club because of other re- like there was just reasons why I don't know. And and I remember Goss coming to me, he said, "You need to get out and go to Devonport because the, you know there's too much going on here." He's and I, I wasn't going. I was staying because I was a supporter of him. Mm. And uh, and then um, Devonport uh, rang me and asked me if they could come over and see me and my dad and. Uh, um, and, and that's how it all come about. I end up going, I played the first couple of games at Latrobe and then transferred to Devonport. Yep, in 88. In 88, right. yep. yeah. Yep. So uh, you played in the Premiership that year? Well, oh, a bit of a long story there, but yeah. I'll try and keep it short. But uh, No, mate, you got all the time uh, in, your, no, in the well, world. I played, uh, People love I, I your story, over, so yeah, you go for your life. Uh, I went over there and I first game I played in the reserves and the second game, like I'll, I'll never forget it because Roland Crosby come and seen me and Dad and and was in the lounge room and Dad's he was asking questions and Dad said if Wayne comes to Devonport where would you play him and he said that he'd play him either wing or half back or half forward anyway and would he play senior footy and Crosby said no he'll play reserves first up and I must I must admit like Dad I was surprised Dad said this but Dad said. Well, you must have a bloody good side. <laughs> Dad very rarely pumped me tyres, if yep. you know what I mean. Anyway, anyway, the deal was done. Went to Devonport and um, played in played the first game in the reserves, and then the rest of the season in the seniors. I played. I was always started eighteen. I was always in the eighteen. Anyway, our last game, which was the second semi, we played Glenork at KG five. And I'll never forget it. Um, I started on uh, halfback flank and uh, first quarter. And then the runner come out and he said, oh, uh, Cros wants you off the ground. So I come off the ground and Cros said to me, he said, I don't have to worry about your form. Your form's good. I don't have to worry about you. Um, we're trying to get a couple of these other players into the game. They've been struggling for the last couple of weeks. Well, by the first quarter, we you know, we was underway. We looked like we was going off to play in the grand final. So probably... Didn't worry me that much. I, I end up getting a on and off off the ground type of thing. So he was basically bringing you off to, to save you a little bit, but letting other blokes yeah, have a run yeah, play themselves into form. Well, that's what I was thinking was happening. Anyway, I'll never forget, we got on the bus to go... Well, we made the grand final, and we had to go to um, play at North Hobart, and we caught the bus at Devonport on the Friday afternoon um, to go down there. We stayed... And we, we had 22 players, and there's... And everyone knew, like, two players had to go. Like, they all said two players had to go anyway. So was there only two on the bench back back in back that in time? In, yeah, back yep. in that time. So yep. anyway, we are on the bus and uh, go down, and everyone said that, uh, you know, they was talk who could go and all this. And um, on the morning of the grand final, where um, Crosby called uh, four of us in, it was uh, Dane Gillum, Aidan Kelly, Bull Cullen, and myself. And uh, and I thought, oh, geez, I must be in the mix. I didn't think that I would be in the mix, but mm. I was in the mix anyway. Went in there with the match committee. There was quite a few people, like a few people from Devonport in there. And uh, Crosby said to me, he said, um, he just said the two players that won't be playing, it was Aidan Kelly and myself. And, oh, God, it just hit me like a train. Like, I'd never been hit like that. I, I've had disappointments in, in sport, lots of dis- disappointments. But it was one of the biggest disappointments that I'd ever had and never thought that would happen, but that's what did happen. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I just remember going out, like we got on the bus and everyone's trying to console me because I was pretty upset and couldn't talk to anyone. I've never had a jaw <laughs> that was frozen basically because I just <laughs> couldn't talk. But yep. um, I just remember going to the ground and uh, end up going up into the, um, like they've got this viewing area upstairs in North Hobart and ended up going up there and I went up to the bar and um, end up having I don't know it must have about ten whiskeys because it was just it just blew me away and everyone numb the pain yeah and everyone was just what are you doing here what why aren't you playing and you know it was very hard to explain to everyone mm. what had happened and uh, but that's what had happened and uh, it was one of my biggest disappointments that I'd had in 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 football so that happened and then I was actually coming back from from there um, back to Latrobe because I'd. I just felt that I was just so disappointed, and anyway, I decided to stay for another, I think, four years. After that, I ended up staying, um, staying in Devonport, and uh, the the following year, I never forget it. It was pre-season, and uh, I was just so crabby with everyone. I I'd had one of the best pre-seasons that I'd ever had, and uh, and I had one of my best years personally in 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 football. Like I kind of won a few media awards and uh, I ended up um, winning the BNF at Devonport that year and uh, it was quite ironic because we'd, we'd had a couple of floggings that year and uh, I'll, I'll never forget, I was in the shower and we played North, uh, North Hobart at North Hobart. It was the last roster game and I was I was leading the uh, Matthew Jewellers um, uh, award, like the paper award and yep. also it was the Nat West and it was worth a few dollars and everything. And I remember being in the shower and I said to Brett, I said, because we got beat by North Hobart fairly well, and I said, and Clag, Craig Hoyer, he was um, either two votes behind me, and I said to Brett in the shower, I said, oh, how, how, how do you reckon I went today? He said, shit, just like me. And I said, oh, shit. <laughs> He's well, always been pretty honest yeah, with you. pretty honest. And I said, well, how did Clag go? Oh, shit, too. And I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> so that gave me the, um, well, it basically gave me them media awards that I won that year, um, and plus the BNF I won at Devonport. So. Yep. Um, so just going back quickly, just to 1988, so just watching that game and stuff, what were your emotions? Did you? I know it's probably the hardest position that a player can be in. Like, Can you be honest with yourself? Did you want them to win it, or were you pissed off at the club, or...? Were you happy oh, for him? Because I, I know was, Brett was playing, wasn't he? Yeah, Brett yeah. played, and um, I was, I was probably more just hurt, and I, I, I was a bit numb and watching it. Um, I just remember, I remember Brett was all upset as well because um, a couple of them come to me and they said you got to go and have a talk to Brett, and I said, and I was holding my jaw. I said I got a job to talk to anyone, and uh, I just went to Brett and said to him, look, don't worry about me. I said you go and win it, like and. Uh, I wasn't thinking, you know, lose it or anything that. I didn't think anyone could beat Devonport that year. I just knew that they just had all the cattle to win it, and uh, they're going to win it. And um, and I just remember having that talk to Brett. I said, "Look, you've got to go out there." And um, Brett didn't have a good game that day. I, I remember because you know he. Do you reckon he, he was affected by it? I, I'm pretty sure he was affected by it, but you know, at the end of the day, like he, you. Um, you know, if he got affected, I he didn't have actually say, but um, I'm thinking that might have done. But you know, I was pretty upset. He's seen how upset I was um, that I didn't make it. So, 
Yeah. Yep. So you still went into the game watching it, hoping that they won, though. Oh, absolutely. Like yep. I, it was history in the making for um, like a, a TSL side from the coast, like winning the you know the big prize in Tasmania. Like um, with me or without me, like I wasn't looking at you know getting beat. You know, I would. I I remember sitting on the bus. I was sitting next to Chris Fagan all the way home, which is the Brisbane's coach now, yep. and. Uh, I remember him putting his uh, medal around me, but I I didn't feel part of it anymore. But I felt like I've been to a reunion of the like um, back to the club. But I always felt that you know what happened to me, it was pretty hard to take. You know. Yep. Yeah, it sort of come from the blue, by the sound it, of things. It did come from the blue. It was one of those. You just I just didn't expect it, and uh, that's how it goes, I guess. Yep. One one thing that you did miss out on with the game, I'd imagine when you were having your whiskeys and you looked down and saw the all-in brawl that broke out at the start of the game, were you pretty happy then that you were sitting oh, up in the <laughs> behind no, the glass? I, I always kind of knew that that's what might have happened. You know, I felt that... Was uh, there that animosity between the two um, teams or was it just that it was a grand final? No, I think it was just a grand final. And like Devonport, we had a couple blokes in there that, you know, weren't scared to throw their weight around. And I just... You know, when you've got blokes like Rudy Gillum and Phil Nicholson and blokes like that, you just kind of knew that, um, you know, they they were going to, you know, cause a bit of ruckus and that type of thing. And so, do you know who actually started the fight? Well, well, not really. I I just remember Rudy was there, like, um, but I don't really know. And they probably told me, like, at that point, I, you know, probably all I remember there was heaps of people going in and out, type of thing at the brawls and that, and but. Devonport were always the better side. Like once it all settled down and that, um, yeah, they just played a lot better football. Because mm. Glenorchy, there was no way that they could beat them after we'd beat them in the second semi on their home ground. If you were out on the ground, how would what would you have done? Do you reckon? How would you have gone about it? Uh, were you a brawler? Oh uh, well, some people would say uh, I would. I don't. You know, I don't know. I used to throw my weight around a little bit, I guess, but I'm not one of those blokes. I would have thought, but players that I played against they might say different but um yeah I was always flew the flag for the sides that I played for yeah there's no doubt about that and for your teammates um but yeah I you know I've played with <laughs> Darwish Wilson I remember playing with him in 86 so we <laughs> we had a preliminary final at um at Alverson and he went off and uh I've never as seen a bloke go as he could do like and uh yeah but I've yeah, you know, and I was in there flying the flag for our guys, you know, so... Yep. Was Brett involved in that brawl in, for Devonport down uh, there at all? I've seen no, videos of well, it, and I'll, you Brett, can't pick anyone out, really. No, not really. No, Brett, no, he was never that type of player. Like, um, Brett was never a brawler or anything like that, you know. Um, yeah, he he wouldn't... He would have, all he would have done is try to hold players back or, you know, he wouldn't have tried to do anything, you know, toward it, something like that. Mm-hmm. So just quickly, just back to Latrobe. Obviously, the club in recent times has had so much, so much success. Like not the last couple of years, they're going through another bit of a, a rebuilding stage, and they're doing mm. a really good job. But obviously, you know, coming from two thousand and ten through that sort of era, what was it like for you, ex players, when they finally did get that success? Because I know you were still heavily involved in the club yourself. So, mm. oh, explain fantastic. how that felt. Oh, look, fantastic. We'd we'd just kind of been knocking on the door. I. I remember um, uh, the year before, um, um, in '09, um, Maddie Langway had coached him in '08 and '09, and um, he asked me to give him a hand as an assistant coach in '09, and you could just see the side was building for something, 
um, he stood down at the end of that year and then when Dar was appointed, I remember being in the club rooms when the, um, they brought him over, what the announcement had been done and they, to meet the players and he got up and spoke and he, he spoke very, very well and, um, I, you know, a lot of people at the club was wondering how that's going to work being a Devonport bloke coming to La Trobe and all this and, uh, and I'll never forget 2010, it was just like the monkey off the back, like it was just too big of a drought, it was like, you know, I feel sorry for clubs that have been, you know, haven't won premierships for 30, 40 years. Mm. And then when you win one, it's like, oh, my God, you know. Like, the whole town was there. Like, the, everyone that was in football was there type of thing. And uh, to see that and see them players, oh, their faces, their, yeah, you know. So, Did you tear up? Um, I didn't tear up, but I, oh, I've i just stood back. I'm just watching everyone, you know, people like Rod Butler and, you know, Daryl Butler and people like some older players just, you know, on the ground, old supporters and that, you know, grabbing players, patting them on the back and, you know, it was just, yeah, unreal. Like, see, a lot of them players were players that their fathers had played at La Trobe, you know, and it's, yeah, it was, no, it was pretty special. It was just, it was just, great like just winning it and then winning it again in 11 like back to back was just just awesome you know and uh and we still had a fair period we end up uh, missing the next one and then we won the next one after that yep. so yeah it was not quite the golden era as, as the bulldog but it was good enough like mm. you know it's a bit like the what richmond's done in the last four or five years um yep. latrobe have achieved that and uh we're still even and then they had a break and then wade end up getting a premiership with us as well in 16 I think that yep. was so Latrobe had been up for quite a long time and I've always said when you especially if you watch the AFL that you got a window of about four years like four years you'll win two three four in that four years and then you'll drop away mm. um, I think that's what's happened with Latrobe we had quite a few people left after after that last premiership and it's just taken a little while to get back up there again mm. What would you what would you say were the keys during that time to them turning around? I know you said that you felt like they were building. Do you think bringing Dale Perry in was one of the the big keys to it? Um, I, I think Dale brought in um, a bit of professionalism. He he spoke very well. I he was a much like he just knew he knew the opposition. He knew he knew our team like the back of our back of his hand. He like he coached against us, but he knew our players. In in that speech, I remember that in that pre-season when he gets up and he was just picking out individuals you know our weak their our weaknesses and how he's going to fix it and he was a pretty a good thinker love going and listen to dale speak i thought he spoke very very well he spoke how um you you know as good as these guys in the afl like he was very switched on he um you know he turned the club around and I wouldn't take anything away from Dumpy. Like, Dumpy was a very good coach as well. Um, but Dale just added that little bit more professional to him. And uh, Dumpy was actually one of our best players over mm. the first couple of years of winning it. So he was our, one of our main players. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So we've gone through the career and the serious stuff. Obviously, your footy career, as we've touched on a couple of times, it's intertwined with another Jaffray who used to go all right. Yeah. And anyone that sort of had a few beers with you two in the pub knows there's a little bit of banter back and forth about who was a better player. And some people do think that you're probably not the best Jaffray in the Jaffray family. How do you respond to that? Not me. I've never said it. <laughs> no. But I've heard well, people say it before. How do you generally respond to that? Because generally, if you're in the pub... 
Uh, it can be quite hilarious. Yeah, well, Brett thinks... No, Brett never, ever thinks... Oh, I think that I was better than him. I'll say <laughs> that. Um, but uh, I use the... Uh, how we used to play, like... If Brett had a bad game, it was generally because I've had a bad game because he relied on me getting it to him. But he used to used to say, yeah, but when I deliver it to him, it was usually um, Ward 3, you know, 4-4 four, four or something, you know. like. <laughs> um, but, you know, I... Because I always, I'll go on what Dad used to say. Dad used to say, when people used to ask Dad who was the better player, um, Dad used to say they were both different players and Dad would never, even on his deathbed, Dad would never say who was the better one. He said they were both different players and he couldn't pick which one was the better player. So, um, you know. But I'll, I'll tell you a little quick story. Um, when Brett got drafted to um, St Kilda yep. in 86 and... Uh, I'll never forget it because Graham Jelly and Daryl Baldock, they come up home, was living at Vincent Crescent at the time, and uh, they were there to um, talk to Brett about getting him drafted to St Kilda. Anyway, it was funny, we, was come, we went down the stairs, and I'm getting all excited because Doc's pulled me aside, and he said, and a lot of people said, oh, this is oh, bullshit, Wayne, and I, true as I sit here, Doc said to me, he said, well, you'll come next year, like, we're going to bring you over next year. And I've always thought, I reckon they always thought that I was the um, younger one out of me and Brett. And I'm pretty sure they took Brett because he was older. <laughs> but Brett will disagree with that. So I'll, I'll, he probably won't listen to this anyway. We'll get him on how... for his own podcast one day. <laughs> but that's how I, you know, but that's what Doc said to me. He just said to me, he said, look, next year we're going to bring you across. And, uh, but then... Brett, when he got about halfway through the year, then they dropped him. They had to make room in the salary cap for a couple of older guys, and uh, him and Big Wick ended up coming home from, from St Kilda then. Mm. So, honestly, how did you rate Brett as a footballer? What sort of footballer oh, was he, Brett, and what did you think of him? Oh, one of, one of the best. Like, if if not the best centre-half forward Latrobe has produced anyway, I, his, his marking was just unbelievable. His kicking let him down, but, like, the amount of times that um, he used to grab her, like, he was always confident when you're running forward that he's going to give you some fair thinking contest, if not take the mark, you know. He was a he was a leader at centre-half forward, and uh, if you look at all the past history of Latrobe, you wouldn't have probably found a better centre-half forward than what Brett was. Um, I just remember one day... Um, Brownie, like Brett was getting towards the end of his career and uh, um, I'd, I'd finished, that's right, I was playing reserves and I was in the can bar. Anyway, Brownie hadn't put Brett on at all and Penguin were leading fairly well, like type of thing. Anyway, um, they put him on in the last quarter. I don't think Brownie really wanted to put him on, but they, he put him on his kick seven and in won, the last and, quarter and won the game for him. Like, yep. um, <laughs> and this bloke in the camber, he said, "Bloody Jaffray does that all the time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but Brett he played a little bit longer at senior level. I think he might have played over three hundred with Latrobe. Like, um, yeah, so. Brett was a very, very good footballer. I, I wouldn't... And he could go down back if he needed to and play very, very well there. But uh, um, in my time, when I played, I wouldn't have thought there'd been a better centre-half forward than Brett. Yep. I, you know, you know, someone could throw... I know Baldock, he played a bit of centre-half forward, but I can't remember Baldock. I can only remember the players that I've, I've played with. Yep. 
So just just to cover off on it though, so if you were a coach though and a recruiter, you'd be taking W Jeffrey over B Jeffrey. Oh, <laughs> uh, depending on what position you wanted. Like if you different wanted, players, well yeah, answered. Yeah, if you wanted a winger, I'd have to say me. But if you wanted a centre half forward, you'd take Brett. Right. Uh, mm. Um, and just back to that, you've touched on a few of your stories. Obviously, I've had the pleasure of sitting in a bar with you and Brett a couple of times mm. when you've had a couple of beers and stuff. And there are mm. a couple of funny stories that come up, and I know that you've got a couple. Mm. One that I think is quite interesting is when Mark Yates from Geelong went yeah. down to North Hobart and he was on a bit of a recruiting drive and you got a phone call from him. Is that correct? I did. Can you take the story up from there? Well, we was actually, because back then we didn't have mobile phones and the phone come through and because at the club, like, you had a phone behind the bar and I'm trying to listen to this bloke and, and I'm thinking, um, yeah, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about going to North Hobart and, like, he's, uh, he's um, you know, telling me all this stuff and I'm, oh, this is bloody good, you know. And uh, <laughs> anyway, and well, I hung up and everything and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what was going to go on from there and uh, apparently it was the wrong Jaffray again. Like, so I would have thought that, so... <laughs> I just thought it was me because I didn't hear my name. It was just Jaffray, and I just thought, oh, this is me. He wants me. Like, and uh, no, Yatesy wanted Brett, not me. <laughs> um, another funny story that you've told me is you were talking before about how you um, ended up playing Masters, and I think for that reason you had to be playing local football somewhere, didn't you? And is it true yep. that you went out to fourth for a year to run yeah, there? Yeah, I went out to a year to, um, yeah, it was pretty important that, even with masters, you still had to tick the legs over and uh, end up going out to fourth. Um, the reason I went out to fourth, I went out for a friend of mine, Joey Hawks, which had cancer and he didn't have long to live. And uh, and I basically promised him that I'd go out and have a year um, with him, which he was too crook to play anyway. And I ended up playing with um, with fourth. It was against my whole thing, like the old black and white out there. But, um, yes, I did do that. I I, I did it for him, I, and I did it for myself a bit because I had to, like, you know, play. At the time, the trade was, like, travelling really well, and my days have, were done then. So, yeah, I went out there and had a bit of a run. And um, you, talk, you talk about your highlights, though. Is it true when you were out there, you must have been going all right because one day, I think it was playing against Wesley Vale, they sent a tagger out to you, and it was <laughs> one of the lowlights of your career. Are you happy to tell that uh, story? No. <laughs> Yeah, well, they reckon he was a yeah he was the gun player like um, yeah we I was playing it was must have been was it yeah, the might have been a yeah it was a game out of Wesley Vale I think yeah he, he tagged me and uh, yeah it was very frustrating and I think that um, yeah I think Brett worded him up me weaknesses and the things like that but um, yeah it was because Brett one played of those, out at Wesley Vale didn't he, he Brett played of... out of Wesley Vale Brett was playing in that game actually yep. like. Um, it was only like reserve. It was reserve, like we'd both kind of finish, like yeah. But yeah, I got tagged and got tagged out of the game, like um, yeah, and that happens. <laughs> I, I never You've never forgotten it. it though. Oh well, no, a few people have never forgotten. Like, it's one that I don't try and remember too much. So. <laughs> this episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. He knows his stuff. 
located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram or contact Sam at 0429 291 008 or you can email Sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fear stressing down from the better half. So just on stories, I know that you've come here pretty well loaded up. What other <laughs> stories can you tell us without dropping anyone in it? Oh, no, I, I, it's just my own personal um, things that I could, you know, I, yeah, I can share a couple with you, but uh, I, the, the couple that I'll, I'll remember, I was playing in a, in a combined game in Hobart. This is the year that I actually won the Wanda medal. And, and I'll never forget, um, I was married at the time and living out on Appleby's Road there. And um, we've gone to Hobart and I was coming home and having a hell of a time, like getting a few beers into us and that. And uh, we got dropped off at the old Tamahir, which is Molly's now. It's called yep. Molly's. It used to be the Tamahir. So we got dropped off there because that's where Terry Morris's drinking hole was and, and everything. So that was all good. So And there was a karaoke that night. Anyway, um, me, liking the microphone, gets up, starts singing this with this bird like um and we sang islands in the stream well we end up winning the award like they do these um award like you win i end up winning a carton of beer and i had a beanie a scarf and um you know a few other little things that i had and i said oh shit this is all right and not thinking that much and I thought, well, I've got to get it. I had to get a taxi to get home out to Appleby's Road, which costs a few bob as well. So, ended up getting all those stuff and putting it home and sitting it on the bench and drunk, get into bed. The wife's already asleep. And anyway, the next morning I get up and forgot about it all. And I was looked on the bench, all this stuff, and I said, Oh my God, what what am I going to tell? What am I going to tell Helen? I don't know what I'm going to say to her. <laughs> So I said, shit, I better run down because I have to run down to Portrail to get the newspaper. I used to get the Sunday paper. Just, And I'm thinking as I go down there, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Anyway, I looked at the paper and the um, in the paper it had the best players for the combined game and I was first mentioned in the, in the union. And I said, oh, that's what I'm going to say. So I get home and... Helen gets out of bed and she says, oh, where'd you get all this? Where, how did you win? Like, did you win something? And I said, yeah, I won best player for the union. <laughs> oh, bullshit, she said. And I said, no, no bullshit. Anyway, I I showed her the paper, first mention, and end of story. Um, but the word had got out, It's and she found out that I'd done and won it with the karaoke. Well, I don't think I was allowed to, or wasn't allowed to go, um, training for a fortnight. I think she's <laughs> she grounded you. She grounded me basically. She was a hard woman, <laughs> and uh, I'll just never forget that uh, she was um, very very crabby crabby with me um, when she found out that how I won it by winning with the karaoke. So <laughs> I was in the shit there for a while. I'll tell you. <laughs> I reckon. What else yeah. have you got for us? Um, I, it's a bit of a thing. Like after uh, I won that medal, actually I broke my leg. I broke. Um, um, I remember it was at Penguin because I'd broken it twice in my footy career, and this second time when I when I um, broke it, um, I remember Oliver Kirkwood was a trainer, and he comes out onto the ground and uh, he said, "Oh, you broke your leg," because you could see the bone. And I said, "Mate, no, 
you've got to tape it up, mate, because I've got, I promised the wife I'll take her out for tea because I worked out the pulp at the time. You'll probably still earn a brownie points too from the karaoke incident. Well, probably. <laughs> and I just never forget, I said, you've got to tape me up because if I don't take my wife out for dinner, she's not going to be happy. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was meeting all these blokes from the pulp. We went out to a Chinese restaurant in, De- in Devonport and... Uh, the guys, I'd get up to the, go to the toilet, and the guy said, what's wrong here? You're in a lot of pain. I said, yeah, I broke my leg. Well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, if the wife said to me when I left that if I don't take her out for tea, look out. <laughs> anyway, we end up going um, past the hospital, and I said to Helen, I said, can you just drop me into casualty because I need to go and uh, get me leg in plaster. She said, well, what, what have you done? And I said, I've broken it. <laughs> well, why didn't you say anything? And I said, well, because you would have said... Um, I'll always try and get out of not taking you out for tea, and uh, and that's why I took you, um, took you to oh, took you out for tea, and now I've got to go and get me leg in a plaster now. So yeah, I end up going and get me leg in plaster. So so you'd upheld your end of the bargain. And My then... word, I did, and uh, because if I didn't, I knew what type of trouble I was going to get in. Yeah. Anyway, why I had me plaster on there was lots of duties that I had to do when I was at home, and uh, you know. I couldn't go anywhere. She told me if I take the kids and put them in the car and go anywhere, they'd look out. I'd be in a lot of trouble. Like um, anyway, this day I'd, it was raining and I thought, no bugger it. I'm I'm taking the kids in to see mum and dad in at George Street. They were, so I loaded them up. Like um, little Emma, she was in nappy still, and I was car- when I'd carry her, I'd have to hop hop with her. And anyway, I got her in the car seat in the car, and anyway. Anyway, we've gone into Mum and Dad's, had a great day, like, and Mum and Dad's helped me with the kids like, while Helen's worked. Anyway, on my return trip home to my place, um, where my car sat in the garage, I had my zero, um, my sit-down lawnmower in front of um, where I used to park, like, park, my lawnmower was in front of it, and in front of that was a big brick wall. Anyway, so I'm... I've gone to the garage because I didn't have remote control, so I've got out and it's raining anyway. I've lifted the roller door up, got back in the car, and I had a, um, a dual cab with a big bull bar on the front of it. Anyway, I got back in the car and I've just... So I'm creeping forward a little bit just so I don't, um, you know, hit me mower. So anyway, my, my plaster, which was all wet from the rain, it slipped on the... Um, clutch mm-hmm. and he, as I slipped it rammed me mower in, into the brick wall anyway I panicked and I was trying to put my foot on the clutch and it just kept jamming it up like pushing it up against the brick wall well this you know this sit down lawnmower was like about three metres long of the time I was finished with it was about half a metre yeah. I'd, I'd squashed it that much up <laughs> against the Concertina'd wall it. Anyway, well, that was all right. And my eldest, Meg, said, oh, Dad, what have you done to the mower? And I said, Megs, I've done nothing to the mower, darling. Don't worry about it. Anyway. <laughs> don't I, look at it. Don't look at it. I put a sheet over it thinking, <laughs> no, that's fine. Anyway, a few days later, nothing's been said. Like, Megs didn't say nothing, which is good, you know. Anyway, Helen said, right, I'm going to get that new Boland's mower out there and go and mow the lawns. And I said... No, you're not. I said, we'll get Jim's mowing in. You're not going... No, no, we paid three and a half thousand for that. No, I'm going to mow him. And I said, no, you're not. So I'm trying to walk out the door where she's storming out. Anyway, she gets to the mower and pulls it off. And she said, what the bloody hell has happened to the mower? 
And then when I told her what had happened, oh my God, it was like World War Three, and uh, I couldn't explain it to her because I knew I was going to get into trouble from taking the kids in to see mum and dad. So you know how that would have ended up. So yeah. didn't go down so well. Didn't go down real good at all. Yeah. Got any others for us? Oh look, I've had a few in my life, but that was that was the one. Like um, yeah, that, that was probably the one that really uh, that's a pretty good one yeah I was, I was going to ask you just while you're, you're having a look through your notes and that this finger of yours what's the story <laughs> about what actually happened with that oh well like I said I had uh, um, <laughs> a lot of people talk about it, even kids at school where mm. I work up here at the moment Devonport I um, I broke it once and then broke it twice and broke it three times and uh, the last time I broke it wasn't through football it was um, on my zero turn of work I'd rolled it and pinned it underneath the deck anyway uh, I went to casualty and they thought that they could have straightened it but they couldn't and um, they said my only option is is that I have it cut off and um, yeah have, have nothing there at all so mm. but because I play outdoor bowls I, I feel if I take it off I wouldn't be able to grab the bowl properly so mm. I've kind of got a yeah so it's just from continual break so it's now yeah. actually broken crooked is yeah it? it's broken th- yeah three times as far as I know it's, I've broken it yeah does it give you any pain when it gets cold or anything like no, that no not really no no, no it just doesn't bend properly yeah. and things like that but because yeah. anyone that obviously anyone that knows you would know what what it's like but anyone listening doesn't know Wayne it almost pokes out on a right angle doesn't <laughs> yeah. it out to the side just about a right angle yeah <laughs> yeah that's it I, just reminds me of the old days of football I guess so yeah mm. um, just talking about injuries I know I'm um, talking to one of your ex-teammates that he used to suffer quite constantly from corked thighs and you quite often <laughs> have a bit of a dig at him about how he used to try to remedy it do you want to talk about that at all oh my old mate Dean I was actually um was at the footy on on Sunday, uh, Anzac Day, and uh, we we're having a few beers up there. And he's brought a new bride in and uh, introduced me to her. And I told her about his. Um, he used to have this cork thigh, and he, I look. He used to wrap it up that much, but it looked like to me it looked like a bloody single bed mattress. That's <laughs> used to wrap it around this bloody thigh, and uh, it's just been a running thing most of his life, and it. It's funny, I've got this photo down in the history room there where he's bent over and he's got this great big, to me again, it looks like a bed mattress wrapped around his thigh. And uh, yeah, but it's just a running thing and it's a great it's a great story and it's something we always joke about when we get together and have a few beers up in the um, up in the cricket club there on a on a Sadiava. It would have worked for him though. He used to have a fair bit of padding on there, didn't he? Oh, he, my word, he did. Some days I reckon he'd just take her off and sleep in it. That's how much was on there. We've gone through basically most of the stuff. I've just got a couple of quick ones for you now, mate. What would you say has been the biggest challenge that you've had in your life, sporting-wise or personal-wise or anything like that? um, Yeah, such such a long time ago, like when me and my wife split up, I I just remember um, you go to a place where you don't like going. I know that, and back then. How do you mean was, that? Like mentally, or? Yeah, I think what happens is it's just the embarrassment of things. Like I think that, you know, you just feel you've let people down. You've let let yourself down. You've let you know people around your family, and and when you make that commitment for marriage, you you make it forever. And I just felt that I just let a lot of people down. Um, at the end of the day, I um, it wasn't my doing. Um, it was one of those things. I'm not going to say it was her fault, my fault or whatever. Yep. Um, but we had two kids um, and 
you know that was the main thing on my mind at the time but I'll, I'll never forget it because depression wasn't about back then but I'm pretty sure I went to places where you know I thought how am I going to get out of this like you know I remember moving back in with mum and dad and uh and I just remember just couldn't sleep and you know be exercising all the time and things like that and uh just trying to keep your mind active and and that type of thing but um I, I really do feel sorry for people that do split up today like um generally i for for the bloke it's always seems to be a little bit harder because he's the person that's got to either you know go and knock on mum and dad's door or or go and try to find accommodation because it's it's one of the hardest things I've, in, and I've been there and I, I remember I've helped people out at my place where I've given them a bed or, you know, I've let them stay in the garage or whatever because I, I know what it's like when you first it first happens. You've got nowhere to go and, uh, yeah, and, I, and I've always said that, um, you know, I would always have a bed for someone like that, you know, I just, you know. Because people helped you out like people that. People helped me out and uh, I know when... I finally was starting to come out of it. It was just, it wasn't more, it wasn't my family, it was my friends that were around me that said, come on, Wayne, you've got to start getting back into life. And uh, and that's how I feel that I got back into, you know, going out again and, and socialising. But I, I, you know, for, for months I didn't go, do it, just went to work and, and that was it because um, I didn't have access to the kids or anything like that. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty you know a low time in my life I, n- I never thought i would come out of it but i i find when i did everything started falling into place again but like i said i can understand um it takes you, you think when's it going to happen you because you, you don't know when it's going to happen it just seems every day seems to be uh, you know you just you're there but nothing's happening and i yeah so you say when's when's it going to happen? How how did it happen? Was it just a gradual thing for you, or was there something a key thing that you did that you'd advise other people to do to to bring uh, yourself up out of it? Like it was just like you know I'd have a couple of mates come come on we're going down to the pub and you know I just didn't want to do that. Yep. I, I, no, you hear that no, a lot? I, yeah. yeah, no, I just did. And then I, I think it was the persistence that you know a couple of them said you you bloody coming you know and you know couple beers and then that just went on from there I just you know started talking and uh you know because what happens is you're trying to deal with um trying to get access to your kids trying to work out what bloody went wrong um all those type of things you know and uh you you don't worry about the settlement or anything like that because you know that was down the track it was just more um all you want to do is see your kids and you can't see them it 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 plays with your bloody mind and uh and I know how it affected me. It affected my family, like, big time, because I just know that even mum and dad, like, I'd explain to them what was going on. They'd get crabby, and I'd get crabby, and everyone was getting crabby, but we couldn't do nothing about it. Mm. That was just the system, and, yeah, it's it was just so wrong. You just feel like you're treading water. So yeah. just, just just gradually you just came out of it yourself. Just, just come out of it. Like, I, you know, I didn't know. I had no professional help or anything like that I had professional help when the marriage wasn't real good we went to a marriage counsellor and I remember some key things that was in that but again while you're going through this you're not like I said I couldn't see how I thought I was just keep doing what I was going to do just go to work and come home and that was it I you know I'd had nothing else to really 
you know, set set targets or do things in my life. I was just yeah. kind of treading water, like I was just waiting, and then then all of a sudden things started happening, and yeah, and yeah, yeah I come out of it, I guess. So what people say, oh, Wayne Jaffray depressed? Well, <laughs> you if you wouldn't see me then, like probably four or five months after me and my wife had split up, you know, um, how I was, and it wasn't good, but mm. yeah. Sounds like one of the key things that come out of that, though, is how important your mates are around you at that time. Pretty important. Like, mates are the, um, you know, a bloke can go to, go to a pub or club. Like, I'm probably not a pub person anymore. I'm more of a club person. Love having a beer, love having a chat with your mates. Like, it's, there's nothing better. You know, the old bantering. Like, you know, because I've got different circles of friends. You know, I've got um, ones that probably haven't played sport and then I've got the ones that have played sport, you know, we and always having a banter and and you know you probably haven't seen a mate for five or six months and then all of a sudden Sam it just you mm. just pick up from where you just flows on you know from it just that's how it goes it's the great thing about mateship yep yeah um and you talk about your clubs and and obviously you've you've done a lot of work around the Latrobe area like again mm. just when I did a little bit of research on you so you were you won the 2019 Latrobe Citizen of the Year mm. um if you go through the history room over at Latrobe, there's a number of um, awards there that you've won um, for things that are outside of football. Like, you know, mm. your Royce Viney Memorial Award, Ivor Kirkwood Memorial, mm. probably more for being a clubman, being around the place. How, yeah. how important is that to you to, to keep giving back to that sort of place? Because you always mm. give your time. I just wanted to know yeah. what your philosophy is around that. Um, my philosophy is, um, is that you benchmark and when you benchmark, you benchmark on on your history of your of your club. Like, and I find with Latrobe is that you 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 just use it like probably a lot of young ones that taken off today. They don't understand the history, but by the end of their career, they'll understand it and 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 embrace it. And I guess that's how I've done it. I've over the generations, um, you know, we, we see like the Ian Brumals and before them there was the Tommy Joneses and the people like that, you know, the older people in the community. I had time, I had listen, I listened to them and they used to say the same thing. It was all about like the history. But when I was playing the game, I that didn't worry me. But as I've got older, I, I think how important it is. And, uh, you know, I take people in there and I'll say, did you know your granddad played here mm. or or whatever and a lot and a lot of people didn't know that and they go in and see that but mm. um and, and that's just the football but um in, in in the community i've always been like community active i um you know like i'm president of the latrobe bowls club now um it's, uh, it's not something that um i woke up and said i want to be a president it just you know it just happened that way um but i always been community minded you know from you know basketball football cricket you know I've, I've done done it all and uh but i've done it because i've wanted to do it for a start but i i do it for others as well you know so yeah yeah a couple of quick ones mate to finish up on who's the best player that you've played with best player that i ever played with would have been bob jones yep uh, yep in 86 i played with bob um and yeah he would have been about the best player i'd ever played with um but like I said, you know, I've played with some beauties. Like, you know, I've been, I was blessed that I played with Brett as much as I did as well. Like, um, but yeah, I've, and and players that I've I've admired too at our club. You know, like, you know, I've, you know, one of my best, well, one of my best friends, like Darren Perry, he coached there. You know, great player. 
um, Gavin Woodcock, great player and great person. Um, Josh Holland, another great player. So I've, I've seen a lot of great players come through through as well, you know, but um, the best player I've ever played with, definitely Bob Jones. Yep. And like I said, you know, I've seen, I've, you know, you can throw Keezy in there and that Lawrence Shackey coach there one year, like, yep. you know, we've, we've been blessed with some really good players at our club. Yep. Um, so of the current crop, like you, you touched on Gavin, Josh and those sort of things, who would you say would be the, the best of the current ones, like since the recent Premiership era? Oh, the greatest leader was um, definitely um, Gavin Woodcock. Like um, He was a general out there. Yep. Uh, but Josh Holland, a match winner, um, could swing a game. Just if we're not travelling that well, he could do some freakish things and, and win it. Um, yeah. Um, Dumpy, um, Matthew Langmaid, I rated him very highly. Like I reckon he, you know, saved us a grand final one year. Um, yeah, but they would be right. They're, they're right up there. Them ones, um, you know, in in the modern day, you know, I, you know, Braden Butler, a very good player. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's a lot of young kids out there. Mm. Um, Who's going to be the best of them? Do you reckon of the kids coming through now? Oh. Or who do you love watching at the I, moment? I love watching young Richo. I just feel that he's going to be a very good footballer. Um, I think um, Dipper, young Dip Rose, uh, is going to be a good good boy. I know I like Duncan. Duncan's a good player. Um, yeah, there's quite the uh, young Lasty. I've been watching him the last couple of years. And he he's developing every year. He's going to be a good player as well. Yep. Yeah, oh, look, they've got some really good kids up there at the moment, mm. and just got to keep them, and uh, that's going to be the that's the key mm. for us to in the next few years. We've got to keep everyone we've got there now. Yep. Um, who's the best coach you played under? Best coach I've ever played under. Um, that's a bloody good question. That one. Uh, I had to pull one good question out eventually. Oh right. Oh jeez. <laughs> best coach. Well. It's going to have to go back to a junior coach um, in a bloke called Max Corney. I remember right. um, back then he was the bloke to give me an opportunity at junior football because um, I was just a bloke that was going to just have a kick on a Saturday afternoon and um, Mum was talking to me. Mum was talking to him down the street one day and Mum was telling him, "Oh, Wayne only gets a game here and there," and Max said. Well, he was coaching the schools board at the high school. That's grade 10s. And I was in grade 9. He said, tell him to come to training next week and we'll play him. And, and he played me on a half-back flank. And from then on, I felt that that's when my football took off in at the end in grade 9. at um, Yeah, under Max Corney. Like, one of the best coaches of it. I think he gave me an opportunity to play. And, uh, yeah, and I, I rated him pretty highly yep Max Corny yeah. excellent yeah. last question mate so obviously you watch a fair bit of um, NWFL football now if you could recruit one player from another team to come and play for Latrobe who would you have um, over the last couple of years I've loved Jack um, Templeton um, I just feel that the uh, the way he can swing a game um, big body person aggressive yeah aggressive doesn't take a back seat um, I think he would be, you know, he's starting to, I don't know what age he is at the moment, but um, he's probably slowing up a bit, but he's still a very key player in the Penguin side. Um, if we could recruit him, I think he'd, 
it'd go a long way for us to win a premiership because I feel we got the makings and I, someone like him up in our forward line would make a big difference. Yep. Excellent. Well, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast at some stage, so I'll mention that too. All right. <laughs> if I can get hold of him anyway. Get hold of him, There's yeah. a list. Nah, well, that's all I've got for you, mate, unless you've got any other stories that you want to drop no. on us, but no, you've probably I've... told all your best ones. No. I've, I've... <laughs> You'll remember just, them now when just, you finish. That's it, Brendan. I've always found that, um, like you said, you have a couple beers and you can be at a, at a pub or a pub or something, and uh, yep. it's funny how someone will bring something up, and that's how it all starts. And away you go, yeah, away you go, yeah, yeah. But most of my stories have always been revolved around football, and like I said, I, I go away to Masters footy most years. I haven't played for the last few years, um, but I love going away. The comradeship, the blokes you actually played against, and you are, are mates now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing of football. Like you on the footy field, you you know you against one another, contesting again, and then all of a sudden, once your footy days are done and you get into this master stuff, then you can you become mates, your teammates, uh, your teammates. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that goes on. So. Yeah, well, that's one of the best things that people say about sport and about footy is the, the friendships that you take away from it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll never. Just a quick story. I was at. I'd only played two or three games, and there was this. Uh, Jack Myercheck, that's um, Brody's dad. Yep. He used to play at Essendon anyway. He's come come to Burnie, and he's I think he was playing for uh, Cooey, like when they had Cooey. And I was only a young bloke, and on the boundary, I slid into onto the bike track, and next thing, bang, bang, I felt like someone had hit the bloody back of my head, and I got up, and they said, oh, that was dirty Jack Myercheck, and no one tackled Jack Myercheck. You just, well, okay. So I, I let it go, and it was a few years later, we was playing Masters footy, and we went away together. I think it might have been to Canberra, and we become really good mates. And I, rem- I remember I was having a beer, and I said, could you remember that day when you gave me one at West Park? And he said, no, nah, can't remember anything. <laughs> Couldn't remember a thing, but he, he did, but he wouldn't he wouldn't admit that he did that. Oh, right. Because when he was at Essendon, he was a bit of a hitman, old Jack, and they'd put out a CD or bring back, Jack Mycheck. <laughs> but no, every time I haven't seen Jack for a while, but when I have seen him, it's always good to catch up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, it's funny. Like I said, you, you, when you played, you played it hard, but then there comes a time when that competitive scorn, and when you, you know, play Masters, it's more friendship and people you played against and you come together and yeah yeah it's it's, it's a good thing excellent yeah. yeah no well mate like i say i just want to thank you for your time and for coming in and and having a bit of a chat and also you know congratulating you on your career it was probably the time when i started as a young fella to, to get into footy and follow the trade was the time that you and Bretton and those teams were coming up and, and starting to get some success so yeah. like i say i appreciate you coming in and sharing a few stories mate yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. we'll talk to you again next time in the pub no doubt yeah. good on you brendan <laughs> thanks mate no worries mate <laughs> beautiful Cheers. job a big thanks to Wayne for coming in and telling his story. Like I said earlier, anyone who knows Wayne knows how much fun it is to sit and chat with him, and I was lucky enough to get some of his time on this occasion. As always, don't forget to follow the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you get new chats as soon as they drop, and like the page on Facebook. All that important super modern techie stuff. We'll chat to you next time.